You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Hello there, Reds fans. Welcome back to yet another thrill-packed edition of the Red Leg Nation Radio podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. Coming to you on demand once again uh, from Red Leg Nation World Headquarters. Appreciate you joining us here today. Got a lot of things to discuss. A fairly interesting show. You know, the the Reds are sort of in a free fall state right now, and, and we're going to try to keep the podcast positive. So today we're going to kind of ignore the Major League Reds and jump right into the minor leagues. And who do we go to when we need to talk about the minor leagues? Our buddy from RedsMinorLeagues.com, Doug Gray. How you doing today, Doug? I'm pretty good. How you guys? How, how you doing? Doing great, doing great. Uh, good to talk to you again. You know, uh, if you follow Red Leg Nation at all, or if you listen to the podcast, you'll know that we're big fans of uh, RedsMinorLeagues.com, and, and Doug's with us today. He recently put up his mid-season top ten Reds prospect list, and uh, Doug, if you're ready, I thought we'd run down the list. I am good to go. All right, well, we're going to make this a little more uh, interesting. We'll do a Casey Kasem-like countdown, I guess. We'll start at uh, number 10. you got Devin Messerocco, uh our former number one draft pick, ranked as your top 10, as number 10 on your top 10 list uh, as a res prospect. What can you tell us about Devin? Uh, what do we know now that we didn't know at the beginning of the season? Well, you know, last year he really struggled defensively, and he didn't really get off to a good start this year defensively. Uh he threw out two of the first 32 runners that tried to steal on him this year, which that's absolutely atrocious. You know, you can't get away with that at any level, much less the major league level. But since then, he's thrown out almost 50% of the runners that have attempted to steal on him, and he's gotten his overall rate up over 25% on the season. So he's made some really big strides, and I don't know if it's something that, you know, they kind of retooled with him or if something just kind of clicked or maybe just the repetition that has gotten him, you know, to this point. But he's made big strides, you know, defensively behind the plate. And, you know, it seems that, you know, not only the players are talking about, but people that have seen him play both last year and this year, they're, they're noticing, you know, that something is different back there. Um, you know, offensively, he's still, you know, a guy that isn't really putting up great numbers, but his peripherals have gotten better. He's walking a little bit more, striking out about the same rate. And, uh, you know, his power's a little bit up, despite being in a much tougher league to hit for power in. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Bill Lack, one of our other editors at Red Lake Nation, was just down in Sarasota a couple weeks ago, and the one thing that he noticed immediately was that Mr. Rocco just looked, uh, he's more filled out, he looked grown up, he looked like he's uh, a lot bigger, and, uh, you know, Bill had seen him in Dayton uh, before he went to Sarasota, and so uh, Bill was amazed at the difference, just just looking at the guy before the game, and then, of course, he hit one really hard while he was down there as well, so uh, Bill was kind of impressed, so... You think he's making strides, though? Yeah, I mean, you know, his, his stat line doesn't look that good, but, you know, it, it seems that all the underlying parts of his game are improving. It's just not quite showing up in the stats yet. And, you know, without seeing these guys every day, you know, you kind of don't get a good feel for things unless you kind of really look in depth at their numbers to see what they're actually doing. And you're right on the surface. His uh, numbers, he's hitting 211 uh, on base percentage. 303, 352 slugging. Not he does have six home runs. Not not great on the surface, um, but again, one thing that people need to remember: everyone wants this guy. He's a number one draft pick. Everyone, everyone wants him to come out of the shoot, uh, hammering the ball. But he's still a young guy. He's still really young, and so I think it's a, he's a guy we can have patience with. Yeah, you know, with catchers, it seems that you know the offense is usually the last thing to develop, and you know, 
with Mezzarocco coming from, you know, a cold weather state, being drafted in a tough position out of high school, you know, he is going to have, you know, a steeper learning curve to work against than, you know, guys coming out of Florida or California or Texas. Yeah, definitely, you know. Before he was drafted in the first round by Cincinnati, Mr. Rocco was actually, he had uh, agreed to sign on to play baseball at the University of Virginia, of course, my alma mater. And I couldn't help but think, as I was watching Virginia in the College World Series this year, how they'd look with uh, Mesoraco uh, in the middle of that lineup. But uh, I'm glad Cincinnati's got him. So I, I agree with you placing him in the top ten. I think he's got still a lot of uh, a lot of ability, untapped ability, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in the future. Uh, before we leave Mesoraco, though, do you, how soon do you expect that offense to come around? Uh, do you have any idea, any any guesses? You know, I, I think that right now what he's doing at the plate, you know, it's good enough to, you know, produce, you know, at a higher level than he is, obviously. You know, if I were to tell you just his peripheral numbers, you wouldn't think anything less than, you know, a 785 to 800 OPS hitter. It's just right now he's playing in a really tough league to hit for power. And, you know, he's been a little bit unlucky, you know, despite a high uh, line drive rate, his batting average on balls in play is well below average which, you know, generally doesn't continue to go forward with a player. So as long as I, I think as long as he keeps doing what he's been doing, you know, his, his offensive numbers will come around, you know, pretty quick. It's just he's working with the tough league, and he's been a bit unlucky this year so far. I know that's not, that was a sort of an unfair question. I appreciate your take on that because that's what people are concerned about, I guess, with him right now is that offense. Let's move on to number nine on the list, and I'll admit that uh, I was a little surprised to see uh, – this guy's still on the list. It's Neftali Soto, third baseman down in single A with uh, Sarasota as well. And it's a guy that we've been pretty high on at Red Leg Nation, and I know you have been as well. But he had started off fairly brutally this year. But you've got him at number nine. What can you tell us about Soto? Well, you know, the hit tools remain the same. You know, he's got excellent bat speed. You know, he's got good power right now and uh, raw above average power, which I think will come around just because of the bat speed. And as he matures physically, you know, it's still going to be there. Um you know, like Mesoraco, you know, he's playing in the Florida State League, kind of struggling right now. Um, but the peripherals are all doing better than they were last year outside of the power, which I, you know, kind of put in, you know, he's hitting in the Florida State League. The guys that hit for power in the Florida State League, you know, those are your top-tier guys, you know, Jay Bruce, you know, guys like that. So not, not many guys go to the Florida State League at a young age and hit for a lot of power. So the guys that do, they're really, really special. Um, so I, I think that offensively, he's going to be fine. You know, his triples are actually even a little bit better as far as walks and strikeouts than they were last year, which was one of the concerns because, you know, he had a 4-1, to one, you know, strikeout-to-walk ratio. And this year, it's gotten a little bit better despite facing better pitching, more advanced pitchers. Um, defensively, you know, he's still got a lot of work to do at third base. Uh, I, I think that he's got the actions and the tools to stay there, but, you know, he's got to put in a lot of work to get to the point where he's ready to step on the major league field defensively. Yeah, you know, Soto, I think, uh, played a lot of shortstop early in the year last year, and uh, obviously he's not a shortstop. I'm interested to hear that you think he might be able to stick at third, because if so, yeah, he could be, certainly be a very valuable player if he can uh, defensively, if he can come around. Now, you say he's not quite there yet, but is he, uh, you know, I guess what level of not quite there yet are we, are we talking about? Are we talking about a guy like uh, Juan Francisco, who I don't think will ever uh, be a third baseman, frankly, uh, in the major leagues, or is he... Uh, is he a guy that's toolsy and, and has an idea, just hasn't quite gotten there yet? Can you sort of give us some idea of what you mean? Well, with Francisco, you know, they, they're kind of at the same level. They just both have different problems. You know, I think Francisco, he's going to be a little bit too big, and, you know, he just lacks concentration in the field, whereas Soto, you know, he's got a strong arm, but, you know, 
He doesn't have a good arm slot over there. Um, Rangy, you know, he's kind of got Edwin Encarnacion syndrome. He looks really good on some plays, and other plays you're kind of like, why didn't you get to that ball? So it, it's all just going to depend on, you know, how much work he can put in. Um, you know, with a lot of hard work, he might be a year and a half away defensively, um, but it, it's probably going to be a little bit longer than that, I, I'd imagine. No doubt. Okay, well, let's move on to number eight on the list, and this next guy is a guy that's really gotten a lot of people excited this year. It's Travis Wood, left-handed pitcher, who I guess now is going to be in Louisville. Yeah, yeah. he just got called up. Um, it's actually not official yet because he's not on the roster, but he is starting on Saturday night. Uh, the bats have come out and listed him as a probable starter, so it, it, it's all there. Um, you know, he's got probably the best pitch of any of our minor leaguers with his change-up. Uh, I talked to a scout last year who said it was the best change-up in baseball that wasn't thrown by Cole Hamels. And, wow. You know, that, that speaks very highly of, of that pitch. Um, you know, he's made really big strides this year with his control. Uh, you know, halfway through May, he was walking over four guys per nine innings. Uh, since then, he's walking just over one guy per nine innings. And, you know, that, that's just a remarkable, remarkable turnaround in a short period of time. And I, I really haven't figured out or heard from him, you know, what kind of clicked and, you know, made everything just kind of, you know, get so much better, you know, in such a short period of time. But whatever it is, it's really worked for him and really turned around, you know, a guy's career. You know, he really struggled last year in double A. And then, you know, this year he's been flat out the most dominant pitcher in the minor leagues. And, you know, he's doing it at a high level. Um, you know, the, the downside is, you know, he tops out about 90 miles an hour with his fastball. And for the most part, he works, you know, 87 to 89. So, you know, he's not a, a big fireball guy, but, you know, as a lefty, you know, he can get by with, you know, the velocity that he's got, and that plus changeup is just, it, it's a legit major league out pitch right now. That's outstanding. You know, he's 9-3 and three right now, 1.21 ERA, and you talk about being maybe the best pitcher in the minor leagues this year. That's just, uh, that's just getting it done. I mean, that's... You talk about uh, just dominant. At this point in the year, we're you know we're staring at August here uh, soon, and he's uh, just been incredible all year. Now he's uh, moving up to Louisville. This is a guy uh, might be in the mix uh, possibly sometime in 2010 uh, for the Reds. Am I right? Yeah, I mean you know when you're at AAA, all it takes is you know one step back to the right guy, and you know if it's your t- if it's your turn to go in AAA, and they think that you're doing all right, you know it, it, they're, they're going to be calling you up. A good deal. It's, it's nice to see a good uh, left-handed pitching prospect, certainly, because the Reds on the, on the major league level, uh, in terms of starters, are, are heavily right-handed. Let me ask you something about Wood. That it's, uh, it's this is a sort of a situation where I've always uh, felt like teams un- undervalued guys that are a little bit smaller. You know, Wood doesn't uh, doesn't even get to six feet, I don't think. And um, uh, what's your opinion on uh, sort of the smaller in stature uh, size pitchers and and how how teams should uh, should value those? Do teams value them correctly? I know a lot of teams are uh, won't draft guys that are that are short. Yeah, you know, I, I've seen some studies done on you know a pitcher's height, and more often than not, they come out that it's not really the pitcher's height that is the problem; it's how skinny they are. And you know, Travis Woody's five foot eleven, one hundred and sixty five pounds. He he is a skinny guy, and you know he's had you know an arm issue or two in the minor leagues already, but he's never had to go under the knife and. You know, I, I think that as long as they monitor his workload, you know, just like you do with any young pitcher, uh, you know, but they're going to be all right. Um, you know, he might not ever be a guy that can go out and give you 220 innings just because of his size, but, you know, if he can give you 190 innings of quality baseball, you know, any team's going to be able to use that. 
Yeah, I just feel like there's sort of a reflex among teams uh, just to ignore pitchers who aren't six four, you know, six uh, six three, um, and then you get a guy like Travis Wood who's just a, he's a pitcher, and then you know also the Reds. I I was fairly pleased and uh, of their first round draft choice this year, who we'll talk about a little bit later, Mike Leake out of Arizona State, who's a, who's a smaller type guy. So I think it's good that the Reds are willing to think outside the box, and hopefully they're about to reap some benefits from that. Yeah, you know, I mean. With him, you know, he's a second-round pick. You know, he got, I think he got $600,000 signed. So, you know, they obviously saw something they liked in him. So, you know, it, I, don't, I don't think that they're going to hold his size against him because they've got so much invested in him. And, you know, it's really hard to ignore a 1.25 ERA and double A for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. Uh, move on to number seven on the list now. Uh, to recap, number 10 on the list of the Reds' top 10 prospects was Devin Mesoraco. Number nine, Neftali Soto. A couple of Sarasota guys, Travis Wood now, soon to be at least, uh, in AAA Louisville, number seven. And this is the one where I had some questions for you, so I'm looking forward to hearing your justification on this, although I know the upside of this guy. Norman Rodriguez, center fielder, who's down, I guess, with the Gulf Coast League Reds this time. Uh, he, what's he, like 12 years old? <laughs> he's 16 still, but yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> he's really, really young. Yeah, well, he's got some upside, I know, and I'm, but, uh, you know... Uh, well, why don't you tell us why you rated him this highly? You know, the knock on him coming into, you know, pro ball was that he was an incredible athlete, but he was very raw at the plate. You know, he, he didn't really know what he was doing. He seemed to lunge at balls sometimes. But, you know, all the tools were there, but he wasn't really a baseball player yet. And, you know, he's almost got 100 plate appearances now. And, you know, he's shown really good plate discipline. He's walked 11% of the time he stepped to the plate. And he struck out, you know, 21% of the time. That's better than two to one strikeout to walk ratio. Which, out of a 16-year-old in pro baseball, it, that, that's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, he's got lots of speed. Um, I, I just like, you know, where he's at at this point, given his age and with his incredible upside. It was really hard for me to not put him somewhere in the top 10. And I think that just overall, when you combined it, you know, he seemed to just be a good fit right above Travis Wood. Yeah, I'm looking at his stats right now, and he's you know 20, 21 games in the into the season here. And uh, I got to admit that uh, the on base skills, the plate discipline, I'm I'm surprised. It's small sample size, obviously, but yeah, so far for a kid that young, and the power's not been there yet this year. But it, isn't that what everybody says about him? Uh, that he can uh, really uh, he can hit the ball with quite a bit of power. Yeah, you know he's got incredible bat speed, and you know he's he's still he's still just a kid. You know, he's never had, you know, strong nutrition throughout his life, uh, you know. And as a 16-year-old, he's going to continue to get bigger and get stronger. And, you know, power is generally the last thing that develops. But he's got all the signs that, you know, that are there that, are, that suggest that he is going to be able to hit for power in the future. Uh, you know, right now the power is not something that I'd be concerned about because, you know, just anybody that sees him that, you know, is a trained professional scout, they, they see the power coming eventually. Yeah, well, you know, the reason why I – I don't know that I would say I necessarily disagree with this paper. The reason why I had some questions uh, with putting him on the list in the top ten is just because while he does have a huge upside, he's so far uh, from being, uh, you know, from realizing that potential. You know, he's got a long way to go. But you know, you, you've you've kind of talked me into it a little bit. If he's showing some plate discipline at that age in pro ball, that's uh, that's a huge, that's a great sign. Yeah, you know, he's the only guy I had that was even you know below Sarasota in the top ten. You know, I'm kind of with you. I generally tend to you know, err on the side of caution with guys that are that far away. But just the entire pack and what he's done so far, it, it kind of swayed me to sneak him in there in the top ten. 
Yeah, you know, our last podcast, we talked to uh, Bill Lack, got a chance to talk to Tom Browning, uh, who's down there with the GCL Reds, and he was very, very complimentary of, uh, of Jorman Rodriguez's ability. So, so uh, you know, we'll look forward to watching his career. He's got a ways to go, but if he can get anywhere close to that upside, yeah, he's going to be outstanding. Uh, number six, this is a guy that I'm pretty high on. Uh, it's Zach Cozart, shortstop. He's with Carolina now, double A. Uh, what are your thoughts on Zach? You know, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about him is, you know, his defense. You know, he's arguably the best guy we've got in the minor leagues at shortstop. Um, maybe Miguel Rojas is a little bit better in Dayton. I'm not too sure. But, you know, both of them are above average shortstops at the major league level. Um, but, you know, he, he really has turned up the offense this year uh, in double-A. You know, last year he was in Dayton. You know, he did okay offensively, but he was also 23 years old. He kind of he skipped completely over Sarasota this year. And he's taken his offense to a whole new level. You know, he's walking more than twice as much as he did last year and striking out at the same rate as he did, you know, despite making a huge jump. Uh, you know, he's still hitting for power. And, you know, it's shortstop. You know, that, that's just something that, you know, I really like to see as a guy who has a clue what to do with the plate. He's got a little bit of upside, and he can play there defensively. And I really think that, you know, Kozart's the only guy that we've got, you know, right now that shows the ability to play a major league shortstop. I saw him a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe three weeks ago now, uh, playing for Carolina. And you just, just if you watch him for a couple of games and kind of focus on him, you can tell he's very smooth, very polished defensively. And one thing that impressed me was his arm. He had a fairly strong arm uh, that he displayed when I saw him. So any kind of offense out of a guy like that, it's sort of icing. Yeah, you know, I, I really think that he's got the skill set to be, at, you know, an 800 OPS, you know, hitter in the major leagues within the next few years. And, you know, that's something the Reds haven't gotten out of shortstop, you know, since Felipe Lopez was here. And, well, that guy wasn't really a shortstop. So when you can get that production out of a guy who can actually play shortstop, you know, it's something that, you know, you really want to have value. Yeah, he's he's hitting well this year. He's uh, getting on base, a pretty good clip, uh, just looking over his numbers. And, yeah, if you can get a uh, superb defensive shortstop that can put up an 800 OPS, you better grab him and hang on to him. So. Um, but he's just number six on our list, which, uh, you know, that's a that's a pretty good sign maybe for uh, the top of the list. We'll move into the top five now. Uh, and this is a guy who, for some people, came out of nowhere. This is a guy we've kind of had our eye on a little bit, but he's just been unbelievable. Uh, at number five on your list is Chris Heisey. Can this guy hit? He hits everywhere he goes. Yeah, you know, he's always been, you know, a, a good hitter. And he's, he's just taken it to, you know, an entirely different level this year. Um you know, I I read an interview that a guy did with him uh, earlier this year, and, you know, he said that the main thing, you know, difference between this year and last year, and, well, even, you know, this year and the rest of his career, is, you know, before he was really hitting with his arms and not really using his entire body. You know, his timing was off, and it seemed that, you know, he'd always hit, you know, when he was off balance, but, you know, he had such good hand-eye coordination that he always be able to put the ball in play, which is why he always put up good averages, but, you know, he hit for, you know, mediocre power. And, you know, they worked really hard with him this spring, and he got his timing down. And as we've seen, you know, the power has just been unreal this year compared to any other time in his career. So, you know, I really do think that, you know, the power, you know, increase is legit. Uh, I watched him play in Louisville since he's been called up. You can I watch those games online sometimes. And, you know, the swing looks legit. The power's there. And, you know, the rest of his, the rest of his tools, they're all – you know, good to slightly above average. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure that you know he's going to play in center field for the Reds, just because they seem to want you know 
super fast guys in center field, and I, I do think that that's going to wind up, you know, being a Drew Stubbs kind of position. But I, I think that, you know, Heisey could play center field on another team. Uh, but at the same time, I think his back, you know, could be good enough to, to get by in one of the corner outfield positions for the Reds if that's, you know, the, the route they want to take. All right, yeah, I saw him play a couple of weeks ago as well. And, uh, you know, at Carolina in double-A, he had an OPS right at 1,000. I mean, just absolutely, just, you know, 426 on-base percentage, 347 batting errors. I mean, all year long, he was unbelievable. He gets promoted to Louisville, you know, and uh, he skipped, I wouldn't say he skipped a beat. He uh, he's, His OPS is down some, uh, but he's still slugging over 500. I mean, just uh, the power's there. Uh, really impressive guy. Now, do you think that he's a guy that could hold down a center field spot in the major leagues? just in general, not necessarily for the Reds, but uh, in 2010? I, I think it's a, it's a possibility. Um, you know, he'd obviously have to be given the chance, but, you know, there's nothing that suggests that he couldn't do that. You know, he's a solid guy at the plate all around. You know, he can hit for average. He's not going to, you know, chase pitches out of the zone, so he'll draw his walk. He can hit for a little bit of power. And defensively, I think that, you know, at the very least, he's an average major league defensive center fielder with a strong arm. Yeah, well, there's value in, in, in that uh certainly a, an average defender now moving on to number four on the list because you, you just mentioned him and here he is and this is sort of a guy well these two guys Heisey and, and your number four guy drew Stubbs, a couple of center fielders that everybody's sort of been talking about lately with all the struggles of the red center fielder in uh, in cincinnati now um you know it's interesting to compare Stubbs to, to Heisey. what do you think you know the, the main thing that got me with Stubbs over Heisey was just that Drew can really change a game with his defense. You know, for as, as much as, you know, Heisey's better with the bat, Drew's just that much better with the glove. You know, the day that he steps onto a major league field, he's one of the top two or three defensive center fielders in baseball. You know, he, he's just that good. Um, you know, offensively, you know, he's not nearly as good as Heisey, and I'm not sure that he's ever going to be. You know, he strikes out his fair share, not as bad as he once was, but, you know, he's, He's going to draw a lot of walks because he's a very patient hitter. He'll wait for his pitch, which at the same time leads to the amount of strikeouts that he does have. Uh, but, you know, he can steal bases with the best of them. He's got, you know, I think he's got 35 or 36 stolen bases this year. Uh, the main key with Drew is if the power is going to ever develop. You know, when he gets into a baseball, it goes a really long way. But it seems that he's very content right now with just hitting the ball the other way, trying to get on base. And, you know, that that's kind of – against, you know, the scouting report that they had on him coming out of college where, you know, he was swinging for the fences all the time. It seems like, you know, he's kind of gone in the other direction. Um, you know, he had a really long home run the other day in the AAA All-Star game and, you know, it kind of turns some people's heads. But, you know, that power's always been there. It's whether he can, you know, bring it to the game on a consistent basis. Well, that was the next question I was going to ask you is why hadn't, and you maybe answered the question there, why hadn't that power ever developed? Because that was the reputation coming out of college there at the University of Texas. And it's really, uh, is it just his, his approach, you think, that uh, is the reason why it's not uh, developed? And, and you, But you do still think that there's a chance it will develop, at least somewhat. Yeah, you know, the Reds have changed his swing over the past few years, trying to get him to cut down on the strikeouts. They shortened his swing up a little bit. They changed a few things here and there. And I think that, you know, that is going to, you know, take some time to get used to. But, you know, at the same time, when you watch him, you know, you can see the power from time to time. But more often than not, you know, he seems like he's just trying to get the ball in play, you know, use his speed and get on base. But, you know, I, I do see the power. I'm not sure if he's ever going to be consistent enough with it to, you know, be that 20 to 25 home run guy he was touted as when he was drafted. 
But I do think, you know, he can be a 10 to 15 home run guy in center field, which is plenty enough, you know, for an above average defender there. Yeah, certainly. You know, everyone that's seen him says he can go get it in center field. That, that There's not a question and uh, about that. And there's uh, a extreme value in a center fielder at that position. Uh, center field is one of the most important defensive positions. But let me ask you this. A lot of people are clamoring for Stubbs to be called up right now. And, you know, we did a little poll at uh, Red Leg Nation where he and he uh, who, who you think should be promoted first, you know, and Stubbs won going away on that. But right now and into 2010, is there any chance that Stubbs can be an average hitting center fielder? You know, I, I think there is because I'm not sure if you've looked at it, but Major League center fielders this year aren't even OPSing 750. Um, so, you know, if as a group they're only posting a 750 av- or no, less than 750 OPS, you know, the average guy's probably posting, you know, somewhere in the 725 to 750 range. And I, I do think that, you know, he can do that, especially in Great American Ballpark where, you know, some of those balls that he hits to the wall are probably going to go out because of the way that our home field plays. Well, Stubbs is, you know, in AAA, OPS in about 730. Strong on-base skills, though, which will be important because Dusty Baker refuses to bat anyone other than the center fielder first, I think, most most days. Uh, yeah. So so if, if he can be an average offensive center fielder, and, and you're right, that's not exactly a high bar to, to reach, but if he can do that, I agree, he can be a, a big help to the Reds uh, coming going into 2010. Why aren't they calling him up and giving some giving him some at bats now to get him uh, acclimated to Cincinnati, you think? It's funny you bring that up because, you know, when you asked Walt jo- or well, John Fay asked Walt Jockety about that a few weeks ago, you know, Walt was, you know, kind of leaning towards, you know, he's the guy we're going to call up. You know, he's the guy we're going to get the first shot to. And then they asked Dusty about it and Dusty seemed, you know, pretty against it. You know, you know, talking about how, you know, Adam Rosales was hitting 400 and we saw how that worked out. You know, it just seems that, you know, the manager and the general manager are kind of pulling in two different directions. So I, I really don't know, you know, who's going to make the final call on that because I don't think that Walt's going to call him up if Dusty's not going to play him. And it seems like Dusty doesn't want to play him right now because he doesn't think he's ready for this reason or that reason. So I'm not too sure, you know, why they're letting him stay in AAA you know, whether it's, you know, they want him to work on a specific thing or if there's just kind of a, you know, a head bashing between the manager and general manager on what they want right now. Uh, there's a lot of questions about what uh, what the, the minds are thinking in Cincinnati, but we've gotten up through seven out of the, your top ten midseason prospects. Uh, run through those real quickly but before we get into the top three because those are the ones where everyone wants to uh, uh, maybe argue about who goes where. Number 10 was Devin Maris-Rocco. Number 9, Neftali Soto. Number 8, uh, pitcher Travis Wood. Yorman Rodriguez, the six-year-old uh, player for the Gulf Coast League Reds, uh, center fielders at number 7. Zach Cozart, Sterling defensive shortstop at number 6. Chris Heisey and Drew Stubbs, 5 and 4, the two uh, center field prospects for the Reds. Now, top three. This guy you have at third, and I've said it several times after watching him, I think he's – I don't – I'm not saying that I think he's the best prospect in the Reds organization. I think you've got him right at, at number three. I think that's about right. But this is a guy that I think I'm very high on, uh, Todd Frazier, uh, who's in AA uh, Ch- Carolina, started to say Chattanooga, Carolina now. This is a guy I think is going to play in the major leagues, barring injury. Yeah, you know, he got off to a slow start this year in AA. But, you know, May, June, and July, he's absolutely murdered the baseball. You know, he's hitting over 320 since May. Uh, you know, slugging well over 550. 
you know, and he, he's the, the big key with him is he's really cut down on his strikeout rate this year. It's almost cut in half from where it was last year at Sarasota. And, you know, that's incredible, you know, given, you know, the rest of his game. You know, he's really turned himself into a guy that, you know, has an argument for being a legit 300 hitter every year with power. You know, the, the one concern is, you know, they've got him playing in left field now, so you really have to hit well to be an average left fielder in Major League Baseball. So I think that that's really why I've got him at number three. You know, if he were still, you know, at shortstop and looking at, you know, maybe a future third baseman, uh, he probably would have been number two. But until the Reds take that step and put him back at third, uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to leave him at number three. Yeah, that's one of the many things I don't understand, and we've been complaining about that uh, amongst ourselves at Red Lake Nation for a long time, is why in the world the Reds are playing him in left field and all over the place uh, rather than sticking him at third base. Uh, you know, the guy was – he came out as a shortstop. Uh, to me, just from, from watching what I've read about him, seems like he could handle third base, uh, no question. They've got a guy at third base who can't catch uh, the can't catch a cold um, in Francisco there in double-A. I just don't understand why they're not playing him at third base, getting him some reps there, because he could really uh, be a superb, uh, you know, when you consider the whole package, major league third baseman in a couple of years. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I just It wasn't a move that made any sense to me at the time, and it still doesn't make any sense to me. I think that, you know, the Reds, you know, they misevaluated Juan Francisco, uh, you know, coming into this, this season and made a, a move a little bit premature with Frazier to move him to the outfield to make room for Francisco. Yeah, I just, well, they know more than I do, I guess. Uh, there's a lot of smart guys in the Reds organization, but that's one that I can't figure out. Number two, a guy that's really impressed a lot of people this year uh, on your list, Zach Stewart, right-hander, who uh, is now in AAA. Uh, t- tell us about Zach Stewart. He's a guy I'm, all, I'm also high on. You know, last year when they drafted him, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. I, I'm pretty against drafting relievers in the first five rounds. Just because of the, you know, the guys that you can find that, you know, can still throw 95 plus, you know, between the fifth and tenth round, uh, you know, in the draft. But, you know, this year it kind of makes a little bit more sense now that they've switched him to a starter. You know, it, it was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And sure enough, you know, he breezed right through the system and he's up at AAA now. Uh, you know, as a starter, he was throwing 91 to 95, you know, every inning. You know, carrying that velocity into the seventh inning and in some of his starts. Um, you know, great control so far as a starter. He struggled a little bit more now that he's in AAA as, as a reliever. But, you know, he's a ground ball machine. He's got a plus fastball with downward movement. Uh, he's got a plus slider. A developing changeup that's it, it's better than it was last year. Um, and, you know, he's right on the verge of the major leagues right now. You know, the one downside is, you know, it's probably going to take him two more seasons to get, you know, to the 180 uh, innings pitch threshold without, you know, being concerned about an injury happening. But, you know, overall, you know, he's got the stuff to be a very good number two starting pitcher. Yeah, that's impressive. You know, he started out in Sarasota, ERA right around two, uh, promoted in double A, 3-0, 1.46 ERA, um, and, you know, hasn't skipped a beat. In, although in a different role in triple uh, A of the Louisville, he's not given up a run yet. Um, now, and that begs, you've, you've touched on it a little bit, but my question is, going forward, they've brought uh, Stewart to triple A, and he's Pitching a relief now after, you know, spending the earlier part of the year stretching him out a little bit, working him as a starter where he excelled. Are they working him as a reliever in AAA just to try to get him to the majors quicker and, and yet still have him uh, on the radar as a starter? Or what's the, what's the thinking about having him working out of the bullpen in AAA? Or is it just to keep his uh, innings down because he's uh, they haven't 
he's not been a starter in so long. We're just keeping his inning downs right his innings down right now. Um, you know, he's just over 80 innings pitched this year, and I, I think they're just trying to be really cautious with him. You know, because you know he hasn't started as in a majority role since he was in junior college. You know, two and a half three years ago. So you know they're they're trying to keep a really close eye on his innings pitched. You know, even as a starter this year, they took him out after four innings a few different times just to try and keep that innings pitched level you know, at the right place to keep him, you know, pitching throughout the entire season. I mean, if you agree with, with this, as a starter, a potential number two starter, that kind of upside, I agree. Be patient with the guy. Let him, uh, you know, don't take any unneeded risks and, and, and try to stretch him out, And if, even if it takes another couple of years to get him to the majors. But probably, you know, when you look at his uh, his skill, it's a guy that could probably pitch as a reliever in the major leagues next year, don't you think? You know, it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest, if he got a call in September to pitch out of the bullpen for the Reds. Uh, you know, he's he's pretty darn good. Um, and, you know, being at AAA, if they decide, you know, maybe they want to get a feeler on a few different guys, you know, cut some bait with some guys on the 40-man roster, uh, add him and, you know, call him up in September and see what he's got out of the bullpen. Because I, I really think that, you know, going into next year, he has to be in their plans for, you know, at least half of the season being that if he is sent back to the minor league next year, it's going to be in AAA. So they might want to, you know, get a feel on, you know, what they've got with him, you know, whether it's in a bullpen role, you know, next year for a little bit of time to kind of, you know, ease him into the into things, or, you know, if they want to bring him up as a starter after, you know, two or three months in AAA next year. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. How how do you rate Stewart? I'm not asking for a specific number or anything, but how does he compare to other uh, top pitching prospects around the majors? You know, I actually, uh, I write over at firstinning.com also, and we did our uh, top 100 list the other day, and I had him, um, I think, at number 53 overall in the minor leagues. Uh, and I, I was not the only guy that included him in the top 75. So, you know, he, he is a well-regarded, you know, starting pitching prospect, not just by, you know, Reds fans. That's good to hear. Uh, that's absolutely uh, great to hear, actually. Uh, this is the first time the Reds have had any pitching uh, on the major league level in a while, in the rotation at least, and to know that we got a couple guys like Zach Stewart and Travis Wood who are impressing uh, people around the league this year. Absolutely. That's exciting for Reds fans. Let's move on to number one. Oh, mercy. Do I have a drum roll? Let me see. I bet I can find a drum roll on here uh, to do. Maybe not. Uh, I thought I may have, may have had that. Uh but with, without a drum roll and without further ado, Yonder Alonso, last year's number one draft pick out of the University of Miami, first baseman. You got him at number one. Talk to us about Yonder Alonso. You know, his combination of, you know, play discipline and power, it, it's really special. You know, there, there aren't, you know, more than three or four other guys in the entire minor leagues that have, you know, the same amount of play discipline and power that he has. And that, that really makes him a special bat. You know, I kind of liken him to, you know, Adrian Gonzalez with better plate discipline, you know, before Adrian Gonzalez broke out this year and was on pace to hit, you know, 50 home runs. But, you know, that that's really the comp that I had for him, you know, coming into this season. And, you know, I, I don't think that anything's changed, you know, in that assessment since uh, this year started, even with the broken handmate bone that, you know, may set him back a little bit in the power department. But that's not really an injury that, you know, prolongs people's power for the long term. It just kind of sets them back for, you know, six, eight, ten months in general. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that he can, you know, be a guy that hits 300 with a 400 on base percentage and slugs over 500 year in and year out. You know, he has that skill set. 
And while he's limited to, you know, first base defensively, you know, that kind of bat, they, they just don't come around that often. So I think that it was an easy choice for me to put him at number one. Oh, I just I passed out there for a moment. You compared, you said it was going to be, uh, or you had compared him to Adrian Gonzalez with better plate discipline, and I, I think I passed out and hit my head or something. Uh, that that that's, I mean, that's high praise, and, and I agree. That's what I've liked about him since they uh, first started. We're talking about the drafting this guy when we were looking at the draft last year. Is his plate discipline in college in a, in a fairly tough conference, uh, the ACC, uh, just outstanding. And he, you know, steps into Sarasota this year and uh, started off a little slowly, but demonstrated his skill there. And I just hate this injury uh, that's cost him some development time, but uh, he is just, uh, you talk about upside. This, this guy is going to be, a, he's, a, he's just a hitter. I guess the only way to put it, he's just a hitter. Our, you know, he's got that special skill set. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's uh, it's amazing to me. So, uh, look at those top three or four guys. You know, Alonzo, Stewart, Frazier. How much did you uh, sort of toss them around in your head, trying to decide whether whether to move one up or where to put them? Was there was there a whole lot of question in your mind on those guys? Really, the only debate I had was with Stewart and Frazier as to you know who I wanted to go with at number two. Um, Alonzo was easy for me. Um, I, it really came down to, you know, Frazier being in left field and me being uncertain as to whether he'd find his way back to third base, you know, as to who went number two and who went number three. Yeah, that's very reasonable. Um, a couple other guys, I, before we let you go here, that I wanted to ask you some questions about. And, of course, your list here was only people that are currently assigned and, and in the red system. But if you know, we had Mike Leake, this year's number one draft pick out of Arizona State, right-handed pitcher, if he had signed and was in the fold and, and playing right now, where would he rank on this list, or would he be in the top ten? I probably would have put him at number four between Frazier and Stubbs. You know, I, he just, I, I don't think that he's as good as Zach Stewart, and I don't think his upside is as high as Zach Stewart's. And given that, you know, Stewart's had, you know, prolonged success as a pro, even though it's only been a year and a half, you know, that's a lot more than Mike Leake has had, despite being, you know, a much higher draft pick. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think that, you know, Mike Leake is a guy that can move through the system fairly quickly, and, you know, he's still got an upside of a, of a good number two starting pitcher. Right, yeah, and he's a guy that, you know, you say, he, as you mentioned, he's he's n- not that far away from the majors, fairly polished, a college guy, and, and a guy that uh, seems to me, uh, you know, whatever I know, he just knows how to pitch. I mean, this guy just knows how to pitch, even if he's not going to necessarily overpower you. Yeah, you know, he can mix everything really well, and he can throw all of his pitches for strikes. And, you know, that, that really is the key, you know, to pitching, is being able to throw all of your pitches for strikes because then the hitter really is off balance almost all the time. Yeah. One other guy that I wanted to ask you about, and this is a guy that probably this time last year I would have had on a, on a list like this in the top ten, and that's Chris Valleca, shortstop down at uh, Louisville, who was, of course, injured part of the year and has been brutal otherwise uh, at the plate anyway. Uh, Chris Valleca, where where's he uh, on your list? He actually would have been number 11. Um, I, I kind of had an, an internal debate on whether to go with him or Mesoraco at number 10. But, uh, you know, it, it seems that, you know, ever since he's come back off the DL, Rick Sweet has been playing him at second base. And he's actually said that the Reds don't really see him as an option at shortstop. And they've been playing Adam Rosales at shortstop, who, to me, isn't a shortstop. So that really kind of sets back, you know, any idea, at least in my mind, that he is going to be a shortstop in the major league. So I think they're looking at him as more of a uh, – a second base option, even with Brandon Phillips, you know, that doesn't really affect his prospect rankings for me. You know, I, I think that, you know, going from shortstop to second base does hurt your overall sure. value just because shortstops, 
you know, they, they don't need to hit as much to be as valuable. Sure, sure. Uh, speaking of hitting and not hitting uh, much, what's happened with the Lake this year is he's fallen off the cliff offensively. Any explanation for that? You know, he got off to a really, really slow start in April and May, but at the same time, you know, his batting average on balls in play was well under, you know, 200 when generally it's about 300. And he doesn't really have, you know, the, the issues that you would like or that you would think would be there, you know, lack of line drives, lack of speed. You know, his line drive rate at the same time was over 22%, whereas the league average is 18%. So he was even above average at hitting line drives. They just weren't finding the ground. Um, you know, I, I don't think that offensive is really going to be a problem for him. You know, I don't see any reason to be concerned. I think that he's the same hitter that he was last year. You know, he just got off to a really unlucky start, and then, you know, he missed the time with a broken hand, you know, albeit it was his fault punching the water cooler. You know, I, I think that, you know, everything offensively is fine with him. You know, it's just going to it's gonna take some time to, you know, get over the ugly numbers he put up in April and May. Yeah, Any, anyone else that you uh, had a hard time leaving off the list or that you consider that you want to mention uh, quickly here? You know, Billy Hamilton, the Reds' second-round draft pick this year, uh, you know, he got off to a really good start this year. And then I don't know if he – I'm going to assume he had an injury. He didn't play for about two weeks, and he's really struggled since then. But uh, from what I heard and what I've seen, you know, in his scouting videos, I really think that he could be a guy that could rock it up, you know, the charts. You know, even if he finishes out well this year, um, you know, he's arguably the best athlete in the system. And, you know, after missing some time, he's really struggled. But if he can get back to hitting like he was – you know, the first few weeks of the season, you know, he, he'll probably make my top ten again. Yeah, it's a guy that uh, super athletic, number one, but, uh, you know, number two, still really young, you know, drafted out of high school. Uh, he's a guy that I think bears watching. I, I'm not huge sometimes on drafting some of these high school guys, but this is a guy that I think is going to be fun to watch. If he pans out, he could be just dynamite. So anyone else uh, close to the close to the list? Uh, J.C. Silberon down in Dayton was really close also. Um, you know, he's a very inconsistent pitcher. You know, he's 19 years old, so, you know, that's to be expected. Um, you know, overall, his ERA is, I think, 4.61 right now. You know, not world-breaking. Uh, but when he's on, you know, he's arguably the second-best pitcher in the system behind Zach Stewart. Uh, but right now, he's just off too often. Um, I, I think that, you know, he needs a little bit more consistency. Um but, you know, when he's on, he's arguably the best, one of the best pitchers we've got in the entire system. Yeah, I, I can see that. You know, what strikes me before we let you go here is that six, maybe seven of these guys on your top ten list could conceivably see time in Cincinnati before the end of 2010. So we got some guys that are close to helping the big guy, big club. Yeah, you know, when I, look, when I look at our system, you know, we've got guys, you know, at the double-A, triple-A level, and we've got, you know, guys with lots of potential at the lower levels. I think that, you know, the problem with the red system right now is they're missing those guys, you know, in the middle. You know, not the not the high upside guys, but, you know, the, the average, you know, guys that, you know, profile as utility players that can come in and help, uh, you know, the big league team, you know, off the bench or maybe out of the bullpen. It seems that the Reds are kind of missing some of those guys right now that, you know, they've had in previous years. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's just it's a cyclical thing because of the Reds. You know, they've graduated so many players over the last two years that, you know, kind of were in that role. Well, the Reds are evidently going to be needing some help in the major leagues. They just dropped another one. They're seven under now after Daniel Ray Herrera and Jared Burton dropped a, allowed a four spot in the eighth inning against the Cubs, and they lost eight to five. Um, 
So they're going to be needing some help. Uh, this team is cratering uh, on a major league level, I'm afraid. But anyway, Doug, I really appreciate you joining us today. As always, you know, we love having you on the podcast, and we certainly love resminorleagues.com. Um, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. And anybody that's listening to this podcast, if there is anybody listening, um, I have a, I have an idea there's a couple. Um, go to resminorleagues.com. Check it out every day like we do because, really, if, if you want to know what's going on in the minor leagues, and if you care about the Reds, you've got to want to know what's going on in the minor leagues. Follow what Doug's doing over there at at, uh, at that, his site. It's just uh, good stuff. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Red Leg Nation Radio. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. As always, comments, concerns, suggestions, uh, complaints, send that to radio at redlegnation.com. Subscribe via iTunes. Uh, Check out that RN Radio tab at the top of Red Leg Nation for all the information on the podcast. Thanks once again to all of you loyal citizens of Red Leg Nation. For Doug Gray of RedsMinorLeagues.com, this is Chad Dotson saying so long. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.